0: Tinkly, tinkly glass, tinkly glass. Don't down it, you're gonna hurt yourself. You give me ice in a glass and you and you just want to start me. At some point I've got to drink this water. Yeah, that's fine. It's ambient sounds. It's ice in a glass. That's fine. Where have you put my other face? <laughs> How good
1: <confusing. laughs>
0: You're constantly, constantly doing stuff. I'm just um yeah.
1: Really, really enjoyed
0: um, <laughs> Messing with my stuff But
1: just with your whole family today, it's been fun your, your daughter helped me change the oil in my car She did? Yeah
0: Did she do a good job? I she should did have asked a great asked.
1: job And then she, um, she was just sat in my car
0: And the driver's just, just still. trying to drive it All Right Which is cool Did she figure out what any of the things did?
1: Yeah I think she. I don't think she got the gears mm. My gears?
0: Well, she, by the time she's But the go and stop yeah. She got that by the time she's old enough, we'll all be on electric cars, and there won't be gears.
1: That's true. Mm. So it's, as we should be. I don't know why gears exist. Anymore. I like
0: gears. Really? Yeah, it makes me feel superior that I know how to use them. It's great in
1: the camper van because the, the indicator's on the right and not on the left, mm. so you can do. You, you could have had a stroke and, and still drive. Left half your body's just not working and be able to drive that car.
0: Yeah, I'm left-handed. Wow. Well, Again, you're yeah. just oppressing uh, the lefty. I'm sorry. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story. (laughs) In a world where everyone in England is trying to kill everybody else, one man has an idea. Pretty much. We're in the 1600s. With hindsight it is not surprising that John Cook would be involved in the death of a king. After all, he was born in Husbands, Bosworth, within spitting distance of Bosworth Field, where Richard III was killed in battle. Hmm. His parents were Puritans and tenant farmers who owned practically nothing. But luckily, this was in keeping with the whole Puritan aesthetic. They were so against any kind of ritual that when it came to praising the Lord, they even insisted that the minister performing the baptism didn't make the sign of the cross over baby john's head because that was it smacked of potpourri and catholicism god damn it so
1: that makes sense to me more than, than you know like catholicism or any other mm. you know a, any religion that has huge ritual mm. um aspects to it it makes sense if you're religious you would try and cut most of that out that's why i don't understand like with buddhists mm. it, having the prayer wheels and the flags and this you know the biggest statues in the world that like, out of the top ten, four of them are, are Buddha. Oh, cool. Yeah, something like that.
0: Genghis Khan's one, isn't he? Oh, is it? Yeah, one Genghis the top Khan. One of
1: ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of like the Puritans.
0: Well, the weird thing was... Did
1: they do awful things?
0: No, not not generally. I feel um, like the,
1: the, the, the um, Quakers... for The Quakers, the Quakers, Quakers syndrome,
0: never did anything wrong.
1: That's what I think the Puritans were like, the, the, the preamble before Quakers... <laughs>
0: Well, they were all sort of um, Protestant um, reactions to Catholicism. But weirdly, um, at this time at least, um, the, the the sort of kings of England were re- running this fine line where they they didn't like Catholicism because, you know, the Pope was a powerful character in Catholicism and they didn't want to have to deal with the Pope anymore. Yeah. But they also didn't like the very aesthetic versions of Protestantism like Puritanism because it it sort of... It scared them that these people felt like they could do it all on their own, and they didn't need any kind of authority to tell them how to do things. They right. were like, "Oh no, we we will just trust to our own morals and decency." And the king and all the sort of nobility were like, "But yeah, but who's? But we need laws, and we need yeah, we need people t- to enforce things. Like, no, 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 we're, we need to
1: know that that we're better than them. They need to know that.
0: We're like, no, we'll enforce our own moral laws. We're fine. We're we're, we're autonomous people. We'll we'll just be good because it's the right thing to do. No." Mm-hmm. You need systems in place to make sure. Yeah. No, we're fine. <laughs> You're making me seem obsolete. Um, and then the war. Well, John would follow in his parents' footsteps, becoming a strict Puritan, so he obviously saw the sense in it. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, as we've said, he did so at a time when the new Stuart monarch, James I, was teaching his son Charles that he should, and this is a direct quote from James I, hate no man, more... Mu- More than a purity. Hate no man more than a proud Puritan. (laughs) Hate no man more than a proud Puritan. James, who was used to his father's speech impediment, um. (laughs) 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 No, um, Charles, he took this to heart because his dad explained to him that you know once you start questioning if you need bishops. It's not much of a stretch to start questioning whether you need kings as well right. as God's sort of representation on earth all in all it made it very unlikely that John would have ever been able to rise through the l- ranks of English social structures because his parents were dirt poor yep. he was from an oppressed religion if not openly, it definitely wasn't something that the uh, upper class were encouraging you know, were was his were his options but luckily for him Oxford University had recently started experimenting in educating people based on merit, mm-hmm. rather than just how much cash they had. And due to the fact that John fulfilled the grant conditions of... Was, was that to fill a vacuum in people with
1: specialist skills?
0: No, it was a form of charity.
1: Oh, it, so, was it, so it, it was wasn't, a charitable It wasn't about, act. It wasn't about improving... You know
0: whatever it wasn 't sort of fill a quota into. or anything like that no I mean it was it was more a case of well look at look at us we yes, we take masses amounts of money, but we also give back so it' was, It was a small thing that they could do to keep up appearances, essentially. I suppose the
1: poor could go, well, the the chance is there for us.
0: Well, yeah, it's like the lottery. It's like, you've got that option. If you work really hard and commit yourself to nothing else but doing this, you might get the same opportunity as a rich person gets by right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But he had to meet some strict um, conditions in order to be eligible. First, he had to be born in wedlock. And, of course, his his father and mother being good Puritans, 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 they were... They were in wedlock, mm-hmm. sex only to procreate on on a Saturday because you couldn't do anything on a Sunday. Um, they couldn't give him more than eight pounds a year towards his upkeep because, like we said, dirt poor.
1: So they're going to give him a grant. Uh,
0: yeah, they're yeah. going to they're going to basically put him up for it. Um, and yeah, he was also quite smart, which was another thing that didn't didn't hurt his chances. A um, complete moron, just. So, in 1622, at the age of only fourteen. John Cook was accepted to study law. He was officially recorded on the entry forms as a plebeian or a pleb. Because he basically, in order to get the grant, had to say, Yes, I'm a little pleb. <laughs> yes, I need your charity. Thank you very much, sir.
1: It's on the contract. It's you know, instead of sign here, it just says pleb and then dots, and then you've got to write your name. <laughs> <laughs> A no, just, hundred just, times and here, pleb.
0: Just says pleb and there's just a tick box. Yes, yes. I'm a pleb. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Yes. You'll be living in a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be doing all of my washing. Yeah. And all of Jenkins over there, you'll be doing his work as well. Yes.
1: Here are your pink robes. <laughs> <laughs> and your big cone hat with a big P on it. <laughs>
0: You fucking pleb. Well, he studied at Grey's Inn and was called to the bar at the tender age of just 23, determined to fight for his twin ideals of reason and natural justice. Yeah. Now, while John had been busy slaving away, working much harder than all of his contemporaries who didn't rely on a grant, there had been a change in the monarchy. Because James I had died of something that sounded a lot like malaria. Was it? (laughs) um well malaria <laughs> sounded a lot like malaria malaria and charles I had inherited the throne yeah. as was tradition now all of his dad's work telling him that he was a special little boy and that he was ruling by divine right and that mm. he didn't have to listen to anyone else if he didn't want to
1: had that gone in a
0: bit too much yeah. possibly
1: I'm special. <laughs> he inherited that.
0: He'd inherited the lisp. Yes. I'm special, boy. Uh, and, yeah, he immediately set about creating new taxes uh, without involving Parliament, which was a bit of a no-no traditionally, um, and imprisoning anybody who didn't pay, including, as it turned out, quite a number of his own MPs. When the MPs challenged this in the courts, they were told by Charles that he'd done this by His Majesty's special command. Yeah, to
1: go sit on an egg.
0: <laughs> Essentially, yes. It was a catch-all term he would use practically any time someone tried to challenge any of his decisions. So, you know, if he decided that he was going to cut your ears off...
1: Go because, sit on an egg. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. How how can you just decide this? Fuck you. Egg. <laughs> <laughs> sit. Um, this
1: is catchphrase.
0: Which was... It was weird that he needed to revert to this because he already had a sh- a lot of power. I was going to say a shit ton, but yeah. this is a family show. Um, is it not really? Yeah. Because um, he already, you know, in terms of legal wrangling, he had the power to dismiss and appoint judges at his own whim. Mm-hmm. So if a judge made a decision he wasn't particularly happy about, he could put another judge in place and then challenge the original ruling if he wanted.
1: And just keep doing that yeah. until he got the right result.
0: And he's he started pulling on these levers of power quite hard and quickly amassed quite a bit of cash but as a result of all this taxing and you know sort of ignoring the Magna Carta which was quite a big thing Mm -hmm. and due process he made pretty much every noble outside of his special favourites start to wonder if the divine right of kings was really all it was cracked up to be whether there wasn't something more proportional or representative that might be tried as opposed to Charlie boy just doing whatever the hell he felt like at any particular moment, you know.
1: Yeah, and uh, the, yeah, the the egg shortage of the summer of <laughs>
0: <laughs> everyone sitting <laughs> on
1: them. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh god. There's no eggs left.
0: You could could you get an omelette? <laughs> no. No, you couldn't get an omelette.
1: Like gold dust. Well, You could get as many omelettes as you want, but if you wanted an egg well, uh, sunny side up with a a yolk intact, that
0: wasn't going to happen. You weren't going to okay. find
1: that. No, that that was that was been sat on. It was mush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well,
1: blurred lines,
0: even though he basically had control of the judiciary, Charles began to lean more and more heavily on his star Chamber, which was a special court made up of was mem- it called star Chamber the star Chamber oh, yes it was made up of members of his privy council, so the most sycophantic of sycophants who will say yes to anything he suggests um and this provided him with opportunities Why did I,
1: th- I saw them all as grey and hunched over and kind of disheveled and
0: now, I sinewy. The, the better thing to think of them as is, you know that picture... You know, like I, I saw vultures. Now, you know that picture of that club in Eton where you can see David Cameron and Boris Johnson as schoolboys looking like complete and utter twat waffles because yeah. they're all trying to pose and look cool? It's like that group just getting together to pass judgment on anyone that they felt like passing judgment on and when i say they weren't allowed to sentence people to death that was pretty much the only no-no but they could do pretty much anything else yeah, so things, like i said it's
1: things worse than death. they'd
0: remove ears uh, they'd slit noses they'd brand people on the face they'd tickle your feet they would tickle your feet for hours yeah and if if you cried and asked them to stop and then weed yourself they'd laugh and they'd do it harder You know, there there was no mercy. Stop it. Um, Things got worse in 1629 when Charles decided it was pointless, really, to be calling any more parliaments because he had his his pact, um, you know, judiciary. He had his star chamber for making decisions. Why did he need a parliament? Uh, They kept refusing to grant him new taxes anyway, and that was essentially the only thing Charles ever asked them to do. So, yeah... We don't need parliaments, uh, and he decided to rule as an absolute monarch, which he did for eleven years with oh, no wow. parliament being called.
1: Of course, what did the MPs do in that time?
0: Well, they just went back to running the country estates and things. You know, yeah, these yeah. were all still rich people of means. It wasn't like they they needed that. Um, I, I, in fact, at this time, I don't think you got paid to be a member of parliament. I think it was just assumed that in Wait. order to be a member of parliament, well, you're very rich, you know yeah. things. Yeah, it was. It was like a side hustle Come to that you London did. The nobles and the judiciary, however, felt a bit differently to Charles. But we'll get to that. As an absolute ruler, Charles encouraged the persecution of the Puritans, remembering his dad's sage advice about pro Puritans. Yeah. Uh, and during this period of his uh, absolute rule, nearly 20,000 emigrated to America in order to be able to practice their faith freely.
1: They're the Amish.
0: Well, it's Puritan. the Puritans who went across... Um, Escaping religious persecution. Amish. Amish. It wasn't the Amish; it was the Puritans in this in this instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, in many ways, King Charles's decisions they it helped to you know sort of set up the colonies in in North America because people were going over in dribs and drabs, but there was a massive push at this time because people could see where it was going. Yeah. And they were like, hmm, you know, I hear I hear Massachusetts is nice this kind of time <laughs> of year. Yeah, I'm let's thinking, go. Uh... And to be fair...
1: You can't really call taxes across an ocean.
0: It did seem like God was um, on the side of the Puritans in this because despite the fact that they, you know, it was people clubbing together to um, rent the leakiest ships to get across there. It was like pooling the resource to get passage. They only lost one ship in this entire 10-year stretch with Puritans on it, which considering the way shipping was at the time is pretty miraculous.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, John Cork...
1: Did they find it? hmm ship.
0: Uh no. No, it went down in the Atlantic. It's I mean gone. Through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those Well, I hear Papa set off three three months ago. I think he mm-hmm. should be there now. No, no Papa's gone. <laughs> yeah. And you'll never know where.
1: He's a bloated body. Yeah. You can't you can't mourn. Mm-hmm. He's
0: a he's either floating or he's been eaten by something or he's just part of the great circle of life. Mm-hmm. John Cook left the country as well. However, he only went as far as Ireland. Um because the king's favourite, the Earl of Stafford, had needed someone to help introduce legal reforms. And John Cook had answered the call. He sought to reduce... Is le- he hiding his Puritan values? No, no. He's, he's openly professing his Puritan faith, but he's also very useful. Right. And he's very good at doing what he does. Um, he did introduce some legal reforms in Ireland, including reducing legal fees for the poor uh, with a system of punishment for any lawyer found to be overcharging. So really some quite... Um, positive pro-social changes that he managed to put in place and this was the first indication that he was going to try and live up to his Puritan ideals in his new job as a lawyer even if it came at the cost of popularity amongst his peers because what he basically said to every um, barrister in Ireland was yeah I'm setting a cap on what you can charge mm-hmm. and they went no 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 no. we we make lots of money we have a good system here and he's like yeah but it doesn't work for the poorest and yeah. they went yes <laughs>
1: And... Well, there's a lot of them. Yeah. But they're not me.
0: <laughs> and also, they're, they're kind of mainly Catholic, aren't they? They're very smelly. Yeah, smelly smelly Catholics. And they're also Irish. Yeah. Have you considered that? I mean, you're helping Catholic, smelly Irish yeah. people when, when you sh- were English. Look at my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at them. They're glorious. After he'd spent some time trying to reform... Um, The Irish law system, he went on a grand tour of Europe. But he didn't go as a jolly lads holiday like a lot of the noble uh, kids did, you know, to look at the art and to maybe steal some artefacts to bring back to the private collections.
1: He went for a tan.
0: He went to some of the most liberal universities available at the time and actually wanted to test his own Puritan faith by engaging in debate with members of any other Christian sect he could find. So, he went and he talked to the Jesuits and he talked to the Catholics and he talked to... Phil. Yeah, Phil, you know, the Seventh Day Adventist. He went and talked to everybody that he could find. And he came back from that tour with very strong ideas about the rights of man, very liberal ideas, Mm -hmm. and an unshakable belief that he had tried every other flavour of Christianity and he liked his the best. It's
1: the scientific method, sort of. He's, 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 yeah... He's yeah. actually unbiased. Well, it's biased, isn't it? He? But he's, he's tested it as much as he can. Yeah.
0: and, he's, it, it, and yeah, when I say unshakable. he went, he didn't just go and debate. He went and lived yeah. with these people and followed their rituals. And like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, immerse myself in the way you do things and see yeah. if it's better than the way I do. And it seemed like he was genuinely. If I find a better thing than Puritanism,
1: I mean, he, he went I'll to France. He wore, he had a croissant. He wore a stripy top.
0: Full immersion. Yeah. You couldn't tell he wasn't French. Uh, by the time he returned in 1639 to set up his own law practice, he had a strong idea of what a lawyer should be. One who stood by his principles rather than looking to turn a profit. Mm. This was demonstrated when his old boss, the Earl of Strafford, was put on trial for treason. Despite the popular opinion that he was a devil, John Cook offered to speak in his defence, stating that he, personally, had always found the Earl to be a decent man. So he, he, everyone else was like, okay, it seems like the Earl of Stafford's time is up. We need to jump on the, he's a terrible person bandwagon. Kill him! Yeah. Just in case we get, you know, an implication. He pushed me. Yeah. And this guy who worked with him, so was at higher risk of being implicated in, you know, this guy was trying to raise an army to overthrow the king, which is what was said. Um, He went, no, no, no. He's sound. I'll, I'll defend him if you want. I'll, I'll go and speak on his behalf. So, yeah, he he walked the walk. Meanwhile, Charles had called another parliament and within two years had annoyed it so much by trying to arrest members of it that the civil war kicked off. Here we go. I should say the first civil war, which is a bit of foreshadowing, and that happened in 1642. There might have been a war on, but John Cook continued to work as a lawyer because, you know, crimes still happen. Yeah. Even in wartime. In fact, you could say in wartime more crimes happen it's
1: bread and butter Mm.
0: Uh, but he was becoming ever more disillusioned with the English legal system and it's obvious unfairness so as I've said for example if someone accused you of being in debt to them they would immediately be arrested and placed in a debtor's prison and the onus was on them to prove that they did not owe you a debt before they would be released which seems clearly unfair and something that like a vindictive person (laughs) might be able to use to their advantage did no one see the hole, the floor in that? A lot, a lot of people did. But I think The other people who saw the floor went, yes, but that's the floor that we exploit. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, of course we know that that's stupid, but it's good. It's good to have that in your back pocket. It was you know- like that
1: when we were talking about uh, Victorian England and Bedlam and that, yeah. where you could just turn up with your... You take yeah. your, <laughs> you, take your, brother, your you take your brother for a coffee and then
0: you just... Chuck yeah. him in a madhouse. He's mad. <laughs> <laughs> No no, taxes not taxes. <laughs> That's what a madman would say. But in this, it was basically you say you're a landowner and you've got some tenants and they're not paying you as much rent as you'd like. So, what you could do is you could say that they owed you back rent, they'd be arrested and taken to debtors' prison, and then you could just move someone else in onto the land as you. While they're in prison them. by saying, well, the debt, and no matter what happens, then even if they get out, they're not getting that land back. So it's a nice convenient way of getting rid of people as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, double your money for that. That six months where they're trying to.
0: Well, yeah. Cook spoke out against that, and he also spoke out against the rampant bribery and favoritism he encountered. And by favoritism, I mean judges had favorites amongst the barristers, and they would literally call their favorites' cases first mm-hmm. in the day because. They liked having those people in front of them. So, unless you had one of the barristers on your case who was a favourite of the judge, you might sit there all day. That's how that's how ingrained this sort of um, yeah, it's not it's not a fair system. It's an old boys network, was. And Cook spoke out against that. He did this so often.
1: He made hundreds of friends.
0: He earned the nickname. Oh, White Cook. Mm. Why white? Because he was whiter than white.
1: All oh, right, like pure
0: Poor, pure pure yeah. Cook. He was pure. Um, which his colleagues as they were lawyers considered to be a withering put down mm.
1: <laughs> well like, yeah. you know him
0: he's honest
1: <laughs> yeah and he's loving it
0: yeah and he's, by he's
1: printed t-shirts on <laughs> by
0: 1645 John had apparently had enough and is the most likely author of a pamphlet called A Looking Glass for All Proud Ambitious Covetous and Corrupt Lawyers which laid out his views that the bringing or defending of a case was too expensive and that every lawyer had a moral obligation to do some work for the poorest for free in order to ensure that everyone had a fair right to access justice. So his basic argument was you make enough money out of the rich people who are bringing frivolous cases that always get prioritised. The least you can do, morally speaking, is to do some work for free for the poorest of society to make sure that they too can have access to justice when somebody wrongs them. Or let's keep it fair guys. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Not asking for anything major. The following year he published a further pamphlet, planf- a further pamphlet, not a pamphlet. The following year he published a further pamphlet.
1: A <laughs> the
0: following year he published a further pamphlet. The vindication of the professors and profession of law that outlined his own view of how the law should work. So the first one sort of Complained about the current system and then he went away, he thought about it and he gave some solutions. He wasn't just poking holes, he was like, this is what we could do. Mm -hmm. This included such revolutionary ideas as allowing defendants to call witnesses, that barristers should be held responsible if a technical mistake made by them led to the loss of a case. So there were loads of different ways of pleading, there was loads of Latin terms and you had to get absolutely everything right or the case would be thrown out on a technicality. But if that happened, the barrister who made the mistake faced no sanctions for it. Nothing bad happened to them. they just go, oops. Oh, well. Well, I missed that. <laughs> That's Ooh. embarrassing. Well, off to jail with you. Or death. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Johnson. I put the wrong Latin um, verb in there. And... and they will be taking your head on Tuesday. <laughs> I The good thing is I've learnt from it, I've grown from it, and I will not make the same mistake again. So, isn't that nice? You're a teachable moment. Off to the content selves. Ruffles of hair. (laughs) You scamp. (laughs) Won't be able to do that next week. (laughs) I'll (laughs) be a a lot lighter. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And also, the idea that cases should be resolved as quickly as possible and should be called in order of merit, not, as was currently the case, judges choosing to hear the favorites first so one of the other things about the british legal system was it was a very slow thing because you had to go to all these different hearings that required you to have all these different lawyers so they basically created a thing where in order to get justice at the end you had to go and see this lawyer who would then forward you to this court so you go and see that lawyer and that meant that every lawyer got a little bit of money on the way through but it meant that processes that could be done in a day took months yeah. of legal wrangling. And, and sometimes the person years. Was bankrupt by the end. Yeah. Of it. So both parties will be bankrupt at the end. Mm. And the only people who won were all the lawyers along the way who kind took like a little bit of money. Kind of
1: like a, a, a person in America without health insurance. Mm. <laughs> you get bounced from it. You know, it's all cut down the middle.
0: Yeah, yeah. everybody gets a bit of money and at yeah. the end you die. Pretty much. It was a document ahead of its time, the vindication, and was followed by more. Cook advocated, amongst other things, doctors treating the poorest for free, right? A bit like a national health service kind of idea, and for lawyers to do one tenth of their work pro bono.
1: I don't think it's going to end well for Cook. Why?
0: He's just making—he's just making suggestions.
1: He's been—he's—he's he's awesome. Obviously, mm. he also suggested he's making a lot of enemies, Joe.
0: Well, he's made enemies of doctors and lawyers, but don't worry, because he also suggested that businessmen and men of business had a moral duty to deal honestly and that a maximum cap should be placed on whatever a person could earn, which is the equivalent today of about a million. So Cook's idea was, once you've earned a million, well done, you've won. Yeah. Every money that you make over the million goes to charity and to the society that allowed you to make the million. Um, Yeah, so he also managed to piss off businessmen that's such a good idea <laughs> he also controversially was one of the first people to link poverty to crime and suggested the death penalty might be wrong for those stealing to feed their family hmm. because you know they weren't doing it maliciously they weren't doing it out of spite and to be that most of the people who were stealing from could probably afford to lose a loaf of bread all
1: of this what about the ones stealing at game boys and shit hmm? what about the ones like stealing like Game boys and oh, TVs they could and...
0: still be hung if if you stole. I'm, I'm sure, trying to feed my family. I'm sure John Cook was happy for anyone stealing a TV to be yeah. to be hung, drawn, and quartered. Um, but all of these suggestions made Mister Cook <laughs> deeply unpopular with his contemporaries, who did what they could to stifle his legal career and prevent him from progressing in his practice. It's possible he would have faded into obscurity as a, you know, a liberal firebrand ahead of his time who never really Mm. made a mark on history. If not for the fact that King Charles was very bad at civil wars. By this time, he'd lost two civil wars and he was imprisoned. So this is 1648. So he's, you know, in the course of of six years, he's managed to lose two civil wars and he's in prison. No, he was at one of his palaces because you don't put the king in the Tower of London. Why not? Because he was still a head of state. The parliament parliamentarians were fighting the king, but weirdly what they wanted was for him to accept um, some limits on his power. So they were fighting to try and have him rule with some limits. God, that's aiming low, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I mean, this was... So, do they that...
1: understand the importance of a monarchy to sort of prop up everything? Well,
0: a monarchy was all there was. Right. Actually, they had no idea. The idea of not having a monarchy was so stupid. Oh yeah, we're not in the year of
1: grand narratives, are we? This
0: is. This was. We communism
1: and fascism aren't going down for a while. No,
0: this was. We just want you to accept that you need to hold parliaments, that you need to um, give the judges some form of independence from yourself, so that we can have a legal system that works. That. Like you say, it was such low ideals at the start. Yeah. So it's, and, we stop being a bad king. Yeah, it was, we, well, they, be a good king. They, they still were saying everything was due to him getting bad advice. They were totally exonerating him from any sort of culpability for any of this. And they were going, no, you've had bad advice. We're, we're fighting to get rid of those advisors so we can give you good advice that will help you be a popular monarch. Right. We're, we're fighting you, but we're kind of fighting for, for you. you. Yeah,
1: Because we love you.
0: We love you, Charles. Please come back. Please come back to the good, to the side of life. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> I only do this because I love, love you. you. So he lost and he was in. Uh, and it was clear to everyone by this stage because he'd lost the first civil war and they tried to negotiate. They're like, look, we've beat you. And he just stole for time mm-hmm. until he could get reinforcements and he could have a second civil war. And then they defeated those people and you know the new model army under Fairfax and Cromwell they'd won the second civil war and they had the king again and they tried to negotiate and it was clear that he was just stalling and it was very clear because they found his secret documents that he tried to send off and he was sending messages to the Scots saying if you support me uh, I'll be, I'll institute Presbyterianism Yeah, that will be it the Kirk will rule the entire country which obviously wasn't going to do and then he was sending messages across to the Irish and going if you support me I'll, inst- I'll institute catholicism mm,
1: yeah. and
0: it'll be great and then he was writing across to the countries on the continent and going if you support me you know and they found I'll... these documents yeah they found all of this so oh, great it was very clear that he was just sat there going well yeah maybe i'll do that just give me a, a month to think about y- your mm. thing and i'll write you a letter back and we'll i promise we'll we'll meet somewhere in the middle and he they needs, found all of these
1: pressing doesn't he
0: well yeah, yeah, yeah they found all of these documents they were just like oh for fuck's sake So it was reluctantly decided that what they needed to do was put the king on trial in order to force him to accept some culpability for all that happened in the civil wars and to accept as a punishment some limits on his power. So again, it wasn't about getting rid of him. It was about, we need you to, in some form, admit that you have been... A bad king. Yeah, you've done some things that we'd rather you weren't able to do again. We know it wasn't your fault. (laughs) Uh, but in order to hold a trial, the parliamentarians, they needed some legal representation. And this proved to be a bit difficult. Parliament's own legal clerk pretended to be sick to avoid getting involved. And the two most prominent lawyers... They
1: both came down with malaria.
0: <laughs> Whitelock <laughs> White and Widrington, yeah. when asked to provide legal advice by Oliver Cromwell, they looked at each other... <laughs> He got the letter asking for this legal advice, looked at each other and ran away to Buckinghamshire together. She's like...
1: Hand in um, hand. Yeah.
0: Like, Giggling. No, we're away. <laughs> the Lorins of London became like a ghost town as practically everyone wanted to avoid getting involved in prosecuting the king. It was over two weeks later that they finally got far enough down the list to reach Cook's name. And he was an idealist and believed that if you receive a brief, you are duty-bound... To fulfil it, Mm -hmm. you are a lawyer. You don't choose cases based on moral right or wrong. You choose them, you know, you take the case and you argue it on its merits. So he received the brief on the 10th of January, 1649. He was originally just supposed to act as the junior counsel, so he'd prepare all the paperwork. Uh, But the lead barrister, the guy who would actually accuse the king, uh, was the attorney general at the time, William Steele, who suddenly... Had a bout of malaria, oh, would you no. believe? No, he became very sick, um, leaving Cook to do both the jobs of the Solicitor General and the Attorney General alone. So he was doing two jobs.
1: But he's used to hard work.
0: Also, he was only given ten days to prepare before the trial. Is also, all right? only sleeps four hours, night. No? He had to actually come up with a charge that could be levelled at the King because, by definition, treason was a crime that could only be committed against a monarch, mm-hmm. not by a monarch. Yeah, you can't be treated to yourself. Yeah, we need to have a trial on the king. We need to, you know, charge him with something. But, John, we'll leave the details to you about what that charge should be. We know there's no precedent in law, but come on.
1: Sort of make one up.
0: Yeah, sort it out. And make one up, but make sure it has legal standing and basis. Come on. Um, Also, John Cook, for reasons best known to himself, was the only person involved in the trial who did not seek to protect himself from potential assassination by angry royalists. So all the people that were going to be judges, all the people that were going to be clerks of court, everyone had protection. They are all behind walls. Whereas John Cook, the guy was He's actually going men. to read the charge out <laughs> against the king. He just went back to his inner court, you know, his little room where he did his work. He just puts on his, his little yeah. pea hat. And yeah, he was just happy. He was like, yeah. well, you know what? If if I'm supposed to do this, this was his his logic. If I'm supposed to do this, God will protect me.
1: Yeah, plebs be plebbing.
0: Yeah, if, if this trial is an affront to God he'll probably let me know by having me brutally murdered. So I'll leave it up to God whether I'm going to go through with this or not.
1: What a way to live.
0: (laughs) Well. It's great. No anxiety. Let's see how it works out for him. Carefree. Now John, he solved one of the problems because he did manage to come up with an appropriate charge by accusing the king of tyranny which he defined essentially as a systemic persecution of his own people as a means of amassing personal power and wealth. He added the charges of traitor as there was undeniable proof that he'd sought support from foreign powers to fight the parliamentarians, which was essentially asking people from other kingdoms to come and kill his own subjects. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he added the charge of murder, as Charles had been in direct command of troops who had engaged in the killing of civilian populations outside of battle. So, while the... the, Pretty heavy, all of that. Yeah. While the parliamentarian army, the new model army under Cromwell and uh, Fairfax they'd very rigidly stuck to the approved rules of war. So, you know, as soon as the battle was ended, you didn't just go about raping and pillaging. Whereas the cavaliers, as the name implies, a bit more loosey goosey with it, yeah, yeah. like, well, you know, the battle's finished, but I've still got some adrenaline yeah, and I there are all. Yeah. There are yeah. these wenches over here, so I could just get me sword arm, ease it down.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, that's better. Just Do some stretching. You
1: You can't just stop killing immediately. No, you need... Expect you're not going to have a cramp.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, he he had a charge at least. And on the morning of Saturday the 20th of January, King Charles I... He's going to cook
1: some eggs, isn't he? He
0: was led into Westminster Hall, which is the big sort of open space um, that you walk into directly in the Houses of Parliament. So it's the biggest space they could find to try the king because they wanted a full house. They wanted witnesses to what they were doing because their idea was they had to make it be seen to be legal. So they couldn't do it behind closed doors and have a closed trial because people would say, oh, well, you know, the king, it was a a sham trial. So they went, no, we're going to, have loads of witnesses, we're going to follow the letter of the law and we are going to... And it to... sort of
1: gives him a, a level of protection.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, he had a fair crack of the whip. He he could plead not guilty, he could argue his case. They'd even say... No, said...
1: I mean for Cook, like, he has no protection. They've all got bodyguards and how But he's got a thousand witnesses or whatever it is. Oh yeah, uh, I mean... It, it's he's still... not going kill, to get killed mid-trial.
0: Well, <laughs> yeah. we'll see. Ooh. Uh Strangely, the lead prosecutor, John Cook, was positioned right next to where Charles was sitting. God. So it was Charles sat in the middle on mm-hmm. on a throne. They gave him a proper big seat with a velvet cushion and then right next to him on his right-hand side was the guy who was prosecuting him, oh, God. John Cook. So that must have been an awkward moment when they sat down. But it meant that when... Oh, shit, because if,
1: if he's found not guilty, Cook's dead immediately.
0: Um, No, but you, you probably... Well, well, you no. would if,
1: if he's if he's acquitted of all charges mm. and reinstated as monarch. Yeah. Cook's going to be dead. Well. Because Charles isn't the best person.
0: No, Charles isn't the best person. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, Cook was taking a risk taking this, but his argument was, you don't deny a case that comes to you. Right. You have to argue it on its merits. And his job isn't to um, decide on guilt or innocence his job is to just argue the case from the position he's been told to if he's prosecuting he's got to lay out the evidence that suggests someone did something if he's defending he has to lay out the evidence that they didn't that's all his job is it's an advocate not a he's not making a decision he didn't choose to arrest charles he didn't choose that a trial should happen he was just asked to facilitate that process essentially yeah
1: but would charles see it like that oh
0: god no that's
1: my point is
0: well not at all i mean so the very first thing that happens you've got to read the charge so before the actual trial happens John Cook had to stand up read out what the charge was to the open court so he stood to read the charge and Charles immediately poked him quite hard with his silver tipped walking stick and told him to hold well commanded him to hold like you stop right now I've got something to say John Cook ignored the king and began reading the charge out to the court enraged that a commoner, a pleb, had ignored him. Charles hit John Cook again with his cane. So hard, the silver tip came loose and clattered to the floor. The king motioned at John to pick it up for him, and John refused. Looking the king square in the eye, he continued to read the charge against him of tyranny, being a traitor, and being a murderer. Um, Charles was forced to stoop to pick up the silver tip of his cane himself. It was a powerful image for everyone present because there were newspapers and those kinds of things at the time and they were all reporting that King Charles had been forced to bow before the law, essentially. Yeah. Fucking hell. The trial itself, though, after such an amazing start, such an amazing iconic image to start, didn't really occur. King Charles steadfastly refused to acknowledge the authority of the court. If it had been anyone else, it's likely they would have been pressed to plead which, as we know, is a practice by which people would be shackled to the floor and have progressively more weight placed on their chests until they gave an answer to the charge. However, the court gave Charles three sessions, so they called him back three times to enter a plea before John Cook finally pressed for his refusal to be taken as an implicit confession, known at the time as pro-confesso. Right. So the idea was, um, in order that people couldn't just refuse and hold up the courts indefinitely by going, well, I'm not saying if I'm guilty or not guilty, no they could either press them to make a, a confession or just say, well, no comment." if you no comment, if you say, I'm not going to give you an answer, they'll go, okay, well, no answer is going to be taken as a confession of guilt. So you still want to give no answer? Yeah. You so. know, and then you're forced to make a decision yeah. there. Um, but they didn't do that to the king or right up until this point. And the king kept saying, you have no authority. That was his go-to. His only defense really was... I am the divine authority. I didn't give you authority to hold this trial. Therefore, It's all a sham. Yeah, it's all a sham trial. The king decided, even when sort of informed, it would be taken pro-confesso to deny the authority of the court again and so was found guilty. So John didn't call a witness. John didn't make uh, a speech. The Literally the most he spoke at the entire trial was just to read the charge. Okay, that's right,
1: yeah.
0: <clears throat> Which was something that he'd, he'd sort of designed the charge, but it had been agreed by Cromwell and the other leaders of the parliamentarian forces. So he basically read a script. That's his entire part in this case. And even at this point, it was not certain that the king would be executed. It was definitely not in John Cook's hands either way, whether he would be. In fact, you know, he was done with it from this point. Yeah. You know. But the royalists of which there were many in the country, decided that he was already on the list. What he'd done was unforgivable. He was one of three people who would never, no matter what happened, be allowed to live freely in England if a monarch came back. The other two were Oliver Cromwell, obviously, Mm. and the head judge at the trial, Justice Bradshaw. Prior to sentencing, the judges gave the king one last chance to show any sign of humility. Agreeing to listen to any defence that he might offer, Anything that would uh, allow them to avoid executing him, because that wasn't what they'd wanted. What they wanted was for him to show a little bit of contrition, so, so that yeah. they could, you know, move into a less absolute monarchy and just all get on.
1: Yeah, go back to what it was. Yeah,
0: pretty much go back yeah. to what it was when his dad, with the lisp, was at he least was able to play days. the game. It was too busy chasing young boys to yeah. to really, you know, get too authoritarian. Um.
1: 'Cause it'll just descend into anarchy. If that pa- it's a power vacuum, isn't it? He mm. kill a king and then that's it.
0: Well, shall we see? Okay. Uh, Charles simply tried to stall again by asking to be tried again, to have another trial, but this time to be tried he kept by pointing
1: at things outside.
0: Yeah. Through the window. And what was
1: that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, he asked to be tried again, but this time by Parliament and the House of Lords. So he's like, Well, yeah, I don't I don't his his thing was I don't recognise the authority of this. Yeah. Uh, court, but I'll tell you what: if if we give give me another couple of weeks and you you take me to be tried in front of the House of Lords and the Houses of Commons, then then I would accept that authority and I would plead, and we could have a trial there, and that would be fine. But he was he was just stalling for time because he still thought at any point
1: he could get a full army together. And yeah,
0: his own son Charles Junior might turn up because he was on the continent trying to you know
1: a rally of the troops. Rally
0: of the troops, and it was like if I can just stall them long enough. I we Civil War Three will yeah, kick but... off and this time I will win. And even if and I don't This time it's personal. Well you know, it's like even if I don't, they're gonna keep giving me infinite chances. So I can just keep fighting a civil war. I I only have to win one. Mm-hmm. They have to win every civil war. I only have to win one. Mm-hmm. Was I think his you know his view. Um he was sentenced to death. And unfortunately, despite all of his stalling
1: Son never came.
0: Well, he wasn't quick enough. Uh, and King Charles I was executed on the 29th of January, 1649. The executioner did a clean job, neatly severing his head by a single axe stroke. Tight. Mm. And you know what? There was no anarchy. No. The next day, Tuesday, everyone just went to work, everyone just did what they had to do to get by. Even the the royalists didn't have a massive uprising. There weren't riots in the streets. Everyone just got on with it because there'd been a trial. Yeah. Because you know everyone had kind of, if you'd have just killed the king, it would have been a shock. But everyone over the course of a weeks where they'd said they were going to have a trial, and they'd prep for the trial, and then they'd had the trial. They was got just
1: glad it was over. They, well,
0: they got used to the idea. You know, it's introducing it by small amounts. Like once you got over the idea that the king could be tried by. You know commoners and was subject to law and people got that idea in their head suddenly it 's not the most outrageous thing, thing in the yeah. world that he might be sentenced to death um Cook he did hang around London for a little while, assisting in the trials of other prominent royalists uh, before returning to Ireland to try and single handedly reform the legal system of the country. This was after Oliver Cromwell had been over, and absolutely slaughtered them. Oh so he'd he'd been over and stamped out any possible support um for the royalists from Ireland by killing most of them, and then Cook went over to try and reform the legal system right, which is nice of him. He referred to it as um the blank sheet of paper because it was basically i can I can start afresh here just build it but he, Cook ever the idealist, he hoped that if he could provide cheap, impartial, and speedy justice in Ireland. Um, the, the new Commonwealth that was set up in England under Oliver Cromwell would see how well it worked, how good his system was, and would adopt it in England. So this was his testing ground, his proving ground for all of his ideas. He gained a reputation for impartiality and was not even willing to be prejudicial against Catholics. He was being, he was being fair.
1: Well, that's I mean, him. That's with that's Catholics, him through and through. Yeah. It doesn't matter...
0: Uh, this of course ensured that he made even more enemies amongst the wealthy classes who were suddenly finding it a lot harder to swindle land so he all of the british uh, the english nobility who had gone over to ireland and started claiming stuff they expected you know the handpicked solicitor general from england who'd been sent over there would be a, a good sort yeah, one of the guys corrupt it, right? he'd, yeah. he'd know the the right handshakes and things And he was like, "Nope." It's
1: the guy who killed the king.
0: Yeah, (laughs) he's. If you're legally in the right, you have nothing to fear from John Cook. Cook, the Kingslayer. (laughs) Yeah, like he had anything to do swinging that (laughs) axe. Well, actually, I didn't mention this. Two executioners stood up on the scaffold, and they were both wearing fake hair and fake moustaches (laughs) to make sure with
1: the thing over the front of them. Yeah, to make sure that the black uh, thing, black bag.
0: No, they didn't have a black bag. They had oh, like a... they had like a fake face, they oh, really? like rubber mask.
1: Oh, like one of them, them glasses was a mustache on yeah, yeah. it. Like, yeah, yeah. The Groucho that... Marx glasses.
0: Henderson, is that you? No. <laughs> yes. Hi, old boy. <laughs> Drinks later. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Not me.
1: <laughs> I just look like him, right? Mm.
0: They never actually managed to find out. There have been lots of theories, but they never well, found the out who the executioner was. But he did a good job. He'd, you know, when you're an executioner, the only thing you can do is give someone a clean death, and he did it.
1: You do. You do like a a, a very subtle fist pump after.
0: Mm. Well, yeah, when he when one. he thought about the trial at all, because you get the feeling Cook was just like, "That was a bit unfortunate," but did my job. On to the next one. Uh, he saw the trial of the king as an unfortunate necessity. It's like, we gave him every chance. I can see that, you know, everything was done to try and avoid that outcome, but there was no contrition from the king. There was no agreement to any kind of, you know, power sharing. He had to go, essentially. Mm-hmm. He made himself, you know, he forced his opposition. Saying, into... He dug his own grave. Yeah, Joe. Well, he he dug his own grave. We all know it. And he just spent the next decade not worrying about it, trying to build a better legal system in Ireland. Which he did well he did yeah he tried um, unfortunately you know he was safe as long as the commonwealth was in power and when oliver cromwell died his son and named successor richard cromwell he and the nickname tumble down dick so you can imagine really? what kind of guy he was uh he he wasn't up to to his father's level and Just
1: dyspraxic <laughs>
0: Yeah, it all fell to infighting. There were Mm. loads of different groups among the parliamentarians and they all were scrapping for power. And in that chaos and the power vacuum that, yeah, 10 years delayed but did eventually come, uh, the king's son, Charles II, was able to be restored to the throne because... People had forgot. Well, all the royalists had been going for a propaganda campaign saying that, you know, Oliver Cromwell was... Ruining so many different things, that Puritanism was um, robbing British people of their rights, and that King Charles had been a martyr. They yeah. built him as a as a martyr, basically. Was it
1: Oliver Cromwell that took away football? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> it, he banned football, and he banned the revels, and he banned a lot of things. He
1: banned revels.
0: Yeah. You couldn't. You couldn't have theatres. Um oh, right. Um. So yeah, tumble down, Dick, T- to say how bad uh, a leader he was. After he'd been deposed, they allowed him to come back to the country under King Charles II and just live in England because he was that impotent as a threat. Right. You know, he was he was such a non-entity of a leader that like, oh yeah, come back, whatever. What are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, have some land. Fuck it. No, no, dicks back, <laughs> dick. Um. Turned out that by this point, John Cook was the only one of the three unforgivable people still alive. So, even though he was in Ireland, Ireland wasn't far enough away from the new King Charles II, and John was arrested in Dublin in sixteen sixty, having chosen not to flee to the New World, like so many others involved in the Commonwealth had, because again he trusted to God's plan. Mm. While the trial of Charles... Oh,
1: please tell me he he died as a very old man.
0: While the trial of Charles had been arranged to be as fair as possible, the trial of John Cook was pretty much a foregone conclusion. Mm. A lawyer to the end, he argued that he had not committed treason as a prosecution lawyer does not choose who he prosecutes and does so without any malice. This idea that a barrister must accept cases regardless of personal feeling is now known as the cab rank rule. So you've got to take the next case that comes up and you've got to argue it to the best of your ability. Right. This argument was dismissed. As was his argument, that Parliament had at the time had de facto power to order a trial and that his name was spelt wrong on the charge seat anyway. So they'd, um, his dad had been called...
1: Three O's.
0: Isaac. Uh, and the charge sheet was for an I cook, not a J cook. So and- he... You know, I mean, it was kind of the last gasp sort of thing, but he was like, and also, I have no idea who I, Cook, is. Yeah. But it's not me, so why am I being tried? Um, These were dismissed. So seeing that his death was inevitable, John Cook's last words in a court of law were, I have no more. More what? I have no more. I'm guessing that was in response to, do you have any more challenges, legal challenges to make? And he'd he'd used all of them. Mm -hmm. So he'd, 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 even in the face of what was going to be certain death, he tried to point out that legally he was right. Yeah. And that to try and make it clear to whoever was listening that this was a witch hunt and it was not a fair trial by just, you know, pointing out the technical errors that they were making left, right and centre. It didn't really help him though because he was sentenced to be hung, drawn and quartered. John Cook used his speech at the gallows to ask for mercy... But not for himself, for his fellow condemned prisoners, the other people who were being tried for regicide, asking that after he had died, maybe the new king would show some clemency to the others who Mm. were waiting to die after him. Um, He also asked for a bit of... um, Gin. No, a bit of... um, Bit of lemon. (laughs) Clemency for his own wife and young daughter. Free love, Cook. Who I Free Love. His daughter was called Free Love. What a beautiful name. I know. She was three at the time, I believe, that her father went through this. He, none of that happened. Um, and also... They were killed. Uh, no, they just were di- disinherited of all the land, so they got nothing from him. All of, when, when a, a traitor's killed, all of his property immediately goes to the king. So all of John Cook's wealth, everything that he amassed over his years, <clears throat> all went directly to King Charles II. Who declined to give it back to his family, his Uh, widow and orphan? That takes it all. Pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. He stepped off into oblivion because the hanging bit, he was basically climbed a ladder and had to step off himself. He fell unconscious for a short period of time before he was cut down. He had his genitals chopped off Mm. and burned in front of him while conscious. His belly was then sliced open with a red hot knife and sections of bowel were removed and burnt in front of him. And in order to prove a point about clemency, the executioner didn't decide to, at that point, end his suffering by removing his heart as was customary and just kept removing more and more of his bowels, (coughs) burning it in front of him. Just until he died. Yeah, to the point where his heart gave up and the smell was so bad that several ladies fainted. Just from the smell... It's, it's, there's always a, a crowd bowel. of like... Of course there were. ...going there's,
1: on a day out.
0: This was a big, big yeah. event. It was, even even with being hung, drawn and quartered being a horrific death. Yeah, it was a hot mess. This was the hot mess of the horrific death. This yeah. was the worst it could have been. And he faced it all with a certain degree, as much as you can, because you don't have dignity in that situation, but as much dignity as one can keep when the genitals are being burnt in front of them
1: as history has recorded it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, John Cook was the first person to prosecute a head of state in a court of law and can rightfully be seen as the originator of what would eventually become the international criminal law system with mechanisms for holding leaders to account for crimes committed against their people. The last recorded sighting of John Cook is recorded...
1: Well, I guess I know where it is.
0: The last recorded sighting of John Cook was written by Samuel Pepys in his diary who noticed... His head stuck on a spike above the Great Hall at Westminster, where 11 years previously, the trial of Charles I had taken place.
1: Right.
0: And we don't know what happened to any bits of his body. His family emigrated to the New World shortly after.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Mm. And you got nothing to lose at that point, yeah. really.
0: That is the story of John Cook. He's amazing. He prosecuted a king.
1: Yeah, and died for
0: it. And died for it. Um, and the main source that I used for this week's episode was Jeffrey Robertson's "The Tyrannicide Brief," hmm. which I'm not going to lie—I oh. bought it for the name first and foremost,
1: I'm hoping to find something in it.
0: Well, "The Tyrannicide Brief." I mean, that's a that's a cool title. Come on, yeah. And it actually it is an amazing book. It goes a lot more into. I mean, we really skipped over things like the Civil War. we just like, there was a Civil War. It goes into a lot more um, detail about the, the overriding sort of themes that, that led to it. And it's it's well worth a read. I think it came out in 2005, but it holds up. And there you go. That is, it, folks. that is John Cook. Thanks, Joe. Our dead hero of the week. It's good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> our dead hero of the week. Yeah. Well, to be fair. That
1: could, that could be the new thing.
0: Well, to be fair, everyone we cover is dead, but, I mean, he he definitely died for what he did. Died for his heroism. Your top is both inside out and back to front. That's amazing. (laughs) Hi there, it's Emma, chief organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at consistently eccentric podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.